0: SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the morning after here on SportsGrid TV. I'm Davis Maddock. No Ben Stevens for you today. I will be substituting with you guys over the next two hours. we got a pretty jam-packed show. Of course, we're going to go over the action in the National Basketball Association last night. Some huge swings in the MVP betting market. In fact, we're going to get pretty into the nitty-gritty of that because I really just don't agree. I just really don't agree. I think, I think the market has this one wrong. And I think the voters are going to end up letting us down in the MVP market. Joe Ranieri is going to join us here on the program. Sean Merriman is going to join us here on the program. Cam Rogers is going to join us. We are going to talk the Masters. We'll probably give out some bets and some DFS plays for the Masters. Of course, the Champions Dinner was last night hosted by Scotty Scheffler. Pretty cool to see all the photos coming out. You know, I mean, where else are you going to see Adam Scott and Tiger Woods and Arnold Palmer and all those guys grouped all together in their green jackets? Pretty cool. But yeah, we are going to begin with the MVP discussion and the uh, game played last night between the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. There is ever so slightly a chance now uh, as a result of Philadelphia winning this game that Philadelphia could, I suppose, Theoretically, end up getting the second seed. They are two games behind Boston right now. Milwaukee, pretty much, uh, I think they can go 500 the rest of the way. Actually, I think they can even lose. I think they can go two and three the rest of the way and they end up with the one seed. But crazy result last night with the 76ers beating the Celtics. Joel Embiid, uh, the game of the season, and we've seen a huge change in the MVP markets as a result. 52 points, six assists, 13 rebounds two blocks, only three turnovers. That is actually like a pretty big hole in Joel Embiid's games. He went 20 of 25 from the floor. He made every free throw, but one Uh, sort of interesting, uh, you know, Jason Tatum, not a good game. And Jalen Brown did not play in that game, seven of 20 from the floor for Jason Tatum, 19 points. I mean, honestly, Uh, Do I think we really learned anything about the Philadelphia 76ers? Do I think it's more likely that the Philadelphia 76ers win an NBA championship? Uh, And we're going to get into some NBA championship stuff later in the show. Uh, No, I don't. No, I don't. I still don't really believe that the Philadelphia 76ers are one of the the teams that is extremely qualified to win an NBA championship. I would choose Boston over them in a seven-game series. I would certainly choose Milwaukee over them in a seven-game series and honestly uh you could you could twist my arm and i could maybe take cleveland over them as well i think the fact that cleveland has jared allen and evan mobley to throw at Joel Embiid for 40 minutes a night i think that's sort of like an underdiscussed storyline here in the nba i, I think we all I think we all just sort of think like oh it's, it's the cleveland cavaliers they're the lovable losers they've been ever since lebron has left and it's not true also i mean look we we all know uh counting on James Harden in the playoffs that's a pretty fraught exercise. He's basically one of the, he's basically the worst superstar when you compare his seasonal averages to his playoff averages that we've ever seen, you know, an MVP who goes to shooting, you know, 28% from 3 for the playoffs. But let's go ahead and get to the MVP awards right now. nicole Jokic on FanDuel uh all the way up to plus 850 now with Joel Embiid down to minus 600 and and i i mean it's gonna win it at this point i mean i don't think the odds are gonna shift this much and we're gonna see Jokic re, uh, rebound with some crazy run down the stretch because Jokic isn't even really playing he's resting jamal murray's resting uh michael porter jr of course welcome to everyone here on sports good radio davis matic not ben stevens with you guys today uh but i think just a really cursory look at the numbers does indicate that Nicole Jokic is a way more impactful player. Um, and I think it's even clear if you look at totals instead of per-game averages. Jokic has almost 700 assists, Embiid has 200. And you might say, okay, well, Embiid probably like out-rebounds Jokic, right? I mean, he's always in there. He plays—no, Jokic has 500 more rebounds than Joel Embiid. The only thing that Joel Embiid, on average, does better than Jokic is score. But, of course, Jokic has a better true shooting— Jokic is going to be better from three he's he's better at scoring he just does not do it as often because he that's not the way he likes to play and I get you know all the you know we don't want Nicole Jokic he's never won he's never been in the NBA finals it's the same reason Giannis didn't get to win MVP three years in a row the voters don't want to give a guy MVP three years in a row who they don't view as a pantheon level player and Jokic is not LeBron Jokic is not Michael Jordan he's not Magic Johnson he's not Larry Bird i i don't i don't hate this and i like joel Embiid played his basketball 45 minutes away from where i went to college he played at the university of kansas i went to k-state i i feel a small affinity for him for his time spent in my home state it's it's all fine um but it's not it's not a deserved award if this if this award was done without any narrative if it was done without any uh consideration for what has come in the past Nicole Jokic would win this award again. And and honestly, Embiid is also sort of getting rewarded for getting hot later in the season. You know, he has played very well. I mean, and don't forget, two weeks ago, Kendrick Perkins and other NBA MVP voters were saying Embiid couldn't win because he chose to have a rest night when the Philadelphia 76ers played against the Denver Nuggets. It does really just go to show how short the attention spans of sports fans and award voters are but of course guys we have an absolutely jam-packed program for you we are going to talk all about the national basketball association going to do a little bit of mlb dfs of course we're going to talk about the masters and going to be joined by sean merriman to discuss the nfl nfl free agency the draft a little bit later so of course stay on the grid joe Ranieri is going to join me here in a second it's smarter to be on sports grid see you back in a moment Hello, everyone, and welcome back into the morning after here on SportsGrid TV. I'm Davis Somatic. joined now by Joe Ranieri. We are going to take a close look at some of the results from the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. The San Diego Aztecs end up losing 59-76, to Joe. Uh, I mean, I assume that this was kind of the direction that most people were leading. Uh, you, you, you have a lower seed, a mid-major, not even, not even really a prolific, Mid major in, in the San Diego Aztecs, right? It's not like uh, this, this is not like Villanova or Gonzaga or one of these schools who were, were just kind of used to being a basketball school getting in there. And uh, you know, I thought uh, I thought what what the coaches were saying after the games was was pretty true. You know, San Diego's coach was like, they're just better than us, and we we didn't play our best game, so that allowed them to steamroll us. But we had to have our best game, and they had to have an off night for uconn to lose and that's not what happened uconn pretty much just came in did their job played really well
2: uh, and, and, and you know kudos to um san diego state too davis i mean they did at least at some point in the second half, they did make a little bit of a a, a run uh they got it back to you know single digits i think they got it to within six but then uh, the, you know, the uh, the MVP there, Sonogo, comes out and says, I don't think so. Makes a couple of quick buckets, and next thing you know, they're back up to double figures. So, uh, listen, it was a dominating run, a huge dominating run, where they pretty much blew out every team uh, that they faced uh, in this tournament here. And San Diego State, listen, did they overachieve? In many aspects, yes, they did. Um, they played great defense, and st- you know, styles make fights, right? And this particular tournament, the style of San Diego State, the tough defense—they had size, they had length. The only thing they didn't have was scoring. Um, and then they had to go up against a a bigger team, more depth. Uh, and a much much better shooting team than they were, and ultimately you got to score points, Davis, to win. You got to score in order to win championships, and uh, voila, just like that, it was another double digit win for uh, for UConn. But hats off to San Diego State getting there in this environment these days for a San- a Mountain West team. Man, that was uh, that was pretty darn impressive across the board.
1: Yeah, pretty impressive. I mean, hopefully that helps them with some NIL and some recruiting mm-hmm. stuff. Success and really, you know, success is yep. going to beget more success in NCAA men's basketball. Amen. Uh, so I, I find this pretty interesting. Looking at the, uh, the 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 pregame markets, things were were pretty pretty close. I mean, the total was one thirty one and a half. It actually it came down a little bit. The first half total came down a little bit, and the second half total stayed pretty stagnant and ended up getting really close i mean 135 final score the oh man imagine if you had the other there you'd be sweating you were you were sweating that whole last five minutes of the first half and then everyone knows college basketball second half you're gonna see more points scoring the fouling uh i mean great like i had kind of forgotten because i don't watch much regular season college basketball obviously tuned in to march madness i mean the fouling and the, you know, the 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 possession arrow and then the one plus one. I mean, it it's a crazy game. The last three minutes of a close college basketball game are like absolutely nuts, although this one never got that close. But the the markets were uh the markets were pretty accurate here.
2: So you had an intriguing uh situation with Yukon. Number one, you had uh, you know, when it first opened up, the look ahead line uh for this particular matchup before they played the final four games was Uh, UConn being a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. That was the look-ahead line. So then all of a sudden, UConn goes out, dominates Miami, right? San Diego State barely gets by FAU, and this thing opened up at 6 – And it lasted maybe 90 seconds before it was bet up to six and a half, seven. And then, of course, ultimately at the seven and a half, which it stayed for most of the week. And then we started to see some of the buyback on San Diego State. And I'll tell you another intriguing thing about the market is that you had an awful lot of hedge money coming into the marketplace, meaning there were a ton of people. It became really obvious, I think, rather quickly uh, to those betting the future markets, that maybe UConn might be worth picking up here uh, when it's all said and done, right? Just give me something at you know five to one, six to one, seven to one. I mean, there they started the season. I think what seventy-five to one, somewhere along those lines. Uh, you could have got them in there, or there you go, uh, eighty to one. Then you got uh, twenty-one uh, to one at the start, and then it just started to go down and down. So I do think a lot of people hopped on the UConn, uh future market, only to say, hey, listen, if UConn, you, you know, I think they're going to win, but boy, oh boy, seven, seven and a half points is a lot to leave out there. Uh, so I do think you started to see a lot of that. All right, let me get a piece of this San Diego State at plus seven and a half, just in case. So this way we win one way or the other, and everyone likes a good middle, but ultimately... Uh, it wasn't to be because it, seven and a half, eight and a half, nine, it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, you had nothing uh, but UConn uh, double digits, pretty obvious after the first half. And then even the second half, um, yeah, it was quite obvious. San Diego State is not built to come from behind against a darn good offensive team like UConn. And voila, there it is, national championship and by double digits. So another cover for a national champion uh, and that's usually how it works
1: yeah and i mean look san diego state they shot 26 percent from three 32 from the floor like it just some days you just have a bad day at at the office right and uh, i mean i do find this uh a little bit interesting i mean uconn was uh 17 and 0 versus non-conference mm. opposition this year they were almost uh, they they were undefeated against the spread they had one, uh they had one push all 17 wins 10 plus points huge margin of victory the, uh, the stat that everyone is saying is they had five national titles this decade but they've also missed i think i think they missed the tournament uh an, an equal number yeah. of times which is sort of interesting and obviously Yukon is this is kind of interesting do you think they are a blue blood college basketball program obviously i i think they do get a little cachet from the women's teams and also their national mm-hmm. title teams have been incredibly memorable right? right you know kemba walker and and all that stuff like they they are definitely one of those programs yeah. i i but it it to miss to miss the tournament that often is kind of funny
2: well, you know, it's no different than, like, let's say, uh, the Marlins, right, winning a World Series. When, what'd you win? Like, two, three, and you buy the teams, then you, just, I mean, then you finish last, and then you get back. Like, we've seen this in other sports, but anytime time, I think, in college basketball... When you win a national championship five times in 25 years, one a decade, right, 99, then the early 2000s, then the 2010s, and now uh, the 2020s, UConn has been there in every single one of them. Now, there were some down seasons. Uh, But the reality is, I mean, since the 90s, they've won a national championship in those decades. So very hard to argue with that kind of success, not as sustained as the Kentucky, but really when's the last time Kentucky won anything? So they're just as blue blood, I think, as uh as Kentucky would be considered. Um, uh, maybe even better because they also did it with three different coaches in those five championships. So pretty impressive stuff, that resume for Yukon.
1: Yeah. And Yukon is the title favorite for next season. And I'm just looking yep. at the odds board here. We got Duke at 13 to one, Arizona, 15 to one, Alabama, who is losing their star guards. Uh he's expected to be the number three overall pick. In the NBA draft, he's leaving. Uh, just kind of a weird situation, actually, with Alabama and their players and their coach, mm-hmm. uh, due to the shooting that some of the team members were involved in. I, I this this looks like a pretty inefficient board to me. Like if you have a lean uh, deeper down, I actually think this is a futures market. I am okay betting into early on. Uh, Joe and I are going to run into a break here real quick on the program. We'll be back here in a second to talk about the NBA. Don't go anywhere. It's smarter to be on sports. Hello, everyone, and welcome back into the morning after here on Sports Grid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined by Joe Ranieri. As we return to the National Basketball Association, one of the bigger regular season games, uh, or I mean, really, of, of the entire season was last night between Boston and Philadelphia, although Jalen Brown did not play in that game, and Robert Williams was limited as well. The Bucs, I suppose, are 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 the 76ers are as full strength as they've been. Pretty much all season. They got Harden. They got Embiid. They got Maxi, They got Melton. None of their, none of their key rotation guys are banged up. So I guess, I mean, Joe, I mean, do we do we buy this? Do we think that Philadelphia is can can they beat the Celtics in a seven-game series? Can they beat the Bucs in a seven-game series? Because they'll have to beat one of those two teams in the Eastern Conference Finals to make the actual finals.
2: Well, not if it's going to require Embiid to drop. 50 points uh, in order to win the game every time. So, like, somebody else has got to step up. And Harden was pretty good last night, right? Double-double, I think he had 20 and 10. Um, He was actually pretty good as well. But... that kind of, well, it's either Embiid or it's not against a team like the Celtics, who you mentioned didn't even have one of their uh, one of their better players on the court. Uh, I don't think they had Robert Williams. They didn't have their best defenders, and yet it was still a struggle for the Sixers. It still required them uh, to get Embiid to drop another 50-plus points in order for them to pull it out late. So, uh, although P.J. Tucker had a couple of really big, threes from the corner late in that game to give him a chance to win it um nothing that I saw last night leads me to believe in a seven game series unless I'm missing something Davis I you know the Celtics are going to win this more times than not in a seven game series one game anything is possible but I think there's a reason why that was the Sixers first win against this Celtics team this year
1: and the market is not particularly buying it either. The Celtics remain at plus mm-hmm. 195 to win the East, the 76ers. I mean, uh, you could convince me that the 76ers at plus 410, that that might be a bit rich. Like, I, I, I don't know, that feels maybe more like it should be plus 350. Because yep. Embiid is probably the second best player in the Eastern Conference. I mean, obviously Giannis is the first, but I mean, Milwaukee, Milwaukee can be a worse team. Than any of these teams because their offense can go so dead if no one is making any shots i mean milwaukee could go through a stretch you know game game six at home against the celtics and or i guess it would be a game six would be on the road where they go like four minutes and no one makes a bucket right. like literally no one is able to put the biscuit in the basket so that you you could can maybe convince me on that although i i find the most interesting element of this market i think the Bucks. Celtics and 76ers would all be favored in the NBA finals against whatever Western Conference team makes it. I don't care if it's the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, I think they would all be favored. I think the Western Conference, every team, Nuggets don't have that great of a defense, right? The Grizzlies just Mm. lost their two big men and Jaron Jackson Jr. is this huge foul box you know uh i mean and then yep. the kings like the kings can't defend anyone and then the entire western conference they're all bad right every every team in the western conference has some fatal flaw so i i do i mean i don't know maybe this is the year that the 76ers get it all figured out but i i, I think i would probably take the celtics on uh on this board
2: it's very hard to argue, and i i think you're spot on with this it is uh the celtics uh and the bucks and i'll even throw the sixers up there the the big 3 in the east are outside of and the only team that i would give some uh some credence to in the west would be the phoenix suns and the only reason i'm not pushing all in on them is because uh, listen, Durant could uh, could walk out onto the court and uh, slip and break his toe or something ridiculous like that. Like, it's been known to happen, uh, Davis. But I do think uh, that the Suns have that right mix of they got some depth, they got some bench help now. Uh, you know, having Craig come off the bench uh, is huge. But between Booker, Durant, Aiden, Chris Paul, I think the Phoenix Suns um and they're getting hot right now they've run uh, six in a row right now so uh getting into the playoffs that is a very scary team uh, to me because of the fact that they slow it down they can uh, they can be disruptive to uh, to team's offenses there. Durant, we know Durant is good a, a shooter as he is. We know he can be a lockdown defender too as well. so uh, Booker's not bad himself. Phoenix to me is the one team that I don't feel the market is necessarily uh getting behind just yet because they haven't been a collective group as a whole for very long uh but the Suns are not a team I can sleep on by any stretch and may be the best team in the west period.
1: I'm totally I'm totally with you on that. I mean, you get you get the Phoenix Suns fully healthy to the NBA oh. finals. I mean, I'm if you, I mean, I guess if I if I knew right now, if you told me 100% certainty you're getting 38 minutes of Kevin Durant a night for the entire <laughs> yes. NBA playoffs, I probably do just yeah. take them because he is he yep. is still that good. All right, we've got the Sacramento Kings and the Dallas Mavericks. Mm. Uh, pretty interesting situation here. There are there are rumors that uh, that Luka Doncic might just be shut down. That they they might just say, you know what. It's not worth it. We've got this top 10 protected pick. We are much better off as an organization keeping this top 10 protected pick instead of conveying it this season. Um, I mean, the market is not necessarily buying it. The Mavericks are favored by six, minus 235 on the money line. I I mean, my take would just be to like bet the over on these two teams, even at 245 and a half. The, uh, there, there's, a great, and there's a lot of great Dallas Mavericks stats going on, but there were... Um, there was a stretch where they allowed over 125 points in regulation, eight games in a row, something that yep. no team had done this season. Uh, their, their defense, you, however bad you think it is, it's actually about twice as bad as that.
2: Yeah, well, it's listen, we we the Kings are you know what you're gonna get with the Kings, right? We're gonna get a up-tempo, very prolific scoring uh team that has no problem. They're first in the league in scoring offense, uh, about 121, 122 a game. Uh, this team is capable of dropping 130 on a consistent basis on you. I mean, look at Keegan Murray last night alone. Uh, they have guys that can over take games the problem is because of that offense you ain't getting any defense uh so the only path for the kings is going to have to be outscoring everybody down the stretch and in this particular case uh the kings are going to be taking on a dallas team who we know you're not getting defense there isn't going to be and there's no defense here so if donchick and kyrie um, are going to go in there and have 30 plus points uh, a piece or more, and give some other guys an opportunity to get in the game. I mean, last time they played, I think it was it was still a 250 or more. I think the game even went to overtime. Uh, I don't see this being a slow. I think the Kings are going to go ahead, speed up Dallas. Dallas is going. They know their backs are against the wall. They're not going to play with any sort of uh, tension or stress. They're going to go out there and bomb away here. And I think. Uh, I'm with you, Davis. The over in this one is the only way I would look. Expect a ton of points. Don't expect Kyrie to play a ton of uh, a ton of defense against Sacramento.
1: No, and Luca said that last night. He was talking to the meeting He's like, "Look, dude, I'm tired. I don't want to play defense." Which is uh, we we appreciate the honesty, Luca. We do. All right, exactly. moving on. Now we have the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers. I would say this is probably the biggest game played between these two teams, yep. at least in, in my memory, right? Uh, I'm sure there are, yep. you know, I don't know, there was some some crazy Clippers games but before my memory. But uh, the Los Angeles Clippers on the FanDuel Sportsbook, five-point favorites, quote-unquote, at home. Obviously, these two teams share the arena, so that's always a little bit interesting. Absolutely massive result here, though. Like, this, the team that wins this, is it's basically a two-game swing because they're yep. tied right now for sixth uh and the winner of this game also gets the tiebreaker versus the other one so it's almost worth like three games to win this game lebron looks okay coming back from this foot injury definitely does not look 100 but i mean the clippers do not have paul george that's a real problem that is a real problem and uh i i'm a little worried russell westbrook maybe gets too amped up for this game you know I, i i'm definitely worried about that which way are you leaning here
2: yeah, no, it's the problem is there is nothing uh been uh you know more burning money than the idea that the Clippers should win this game, right? They they should yeah, no, but they they should win a lot of games this year and they absolutely Uh, they just absolutely screwed the pooch here. I think the Lakers, who now I believe are winless in 10 straight against the Clippers, it feels like it's been forever uh, since they've been able to actually overtake them. Uh, The second of a back-to-back, including an overtime game, worries me a little bit here. Uh, But the Lakers' defense over the uh, the last month has been... Really, really good, allowing just 110 points uh, a game. So they've clamped down. They've got some offense. D'Angelo Russell, I think he's still questionable here. Um, The Lakers, it feels like this is a spot where the Lakers turn the corner and the Clippers... Yeah, it begins the downfall because without Paul George, I think what we're seeing here is there is nothing uh, redeeming about this Clippers team that they're going to beat some of the better teams in the West without him. So Kawhi is one thing, but even him, I, I don't know that I can trust in this spot. I think it would be Lakers or not for me here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just I really like the idea. In fact, uh, literally as I'm looking at the screen, it just moved. It's four and a half now for the Lakers. So maybe we're maybe we're moving lines here, Ranieri, over on the FanDuel Sportsbook, uh, guys. That was a big conversation, of course, about the National Basketball Association getting really in to the business. Then I mean, I think we are we are uh, two and a half weeks away from the play-in tournament. Don't go anywhere. We are going to stay with you here on the morning after. Smarter to be on Sports Grid. See you back in a moment Hello, everyone, and welcome back into the morning after here on Sports SportsGrid TV. I'm Davis Maddock, joined, of course, by Cam Rogers, as we are going to turn to the most beautiful week in professional golf, the Masters Men's Championship at Augusta National. Uh, absolutely stacked field, the first tournament we've had this year uh, with the likes of Dustin Johnson, Sergio Garcia, Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, I think that's definitely one of the big storylines uh is is you know how are these live guys gonna play does brooks kepka really want to come back he, brooks finally did well on the live tour his odds have shot all the way up at the FanDuel sportsbook and uh you know sort of across the industry but cam i mean
3: just some it's incredible or how how excited are we it's going to be a great tournament davis and let me tell you we are in a very awkward times on the pga tour on the live tour and particularly at augusta national we just had the champions dinner last night of course a few live golfers were there phil mickelson included a report said that phil did not even say a word during the dinner so that's how awkward of a situation we are in here at augusta national and for the masters here this week it is interesting to see how these live guys will perform i'm straight up fading them davis i won't go there i'm not putting my hard-earned money on guys who play three rounds a tournament and play less tournaments now and play against weaker competition. So that's my advice to the people out there as well.
1: Well oh, we're, we're going to talk about Bryson a little bit later here in the program. I mean, I, I, I've thrown enough money away on Bryson DeChambeau in my life that getting offered 130 to one for him. I don't think I can quite turn that one away. Of course the venue is Augusta national. So, I mean, very simple question. For the casual golf fan, you know, what does make the Masters so special? Because I do think it is sort of the one tournament that my buddies who, you know, they're not watching the Valero Texas Open. They're not watching the WGC match play, but they are always fairly locked in to the Masters tournament.
3: Well, yeah, it is the Super Bowl of the PGA Tour calendar. Of course, everybody tunes in for the Masters. Tiger Woods is always there. Phil Mickelson is always there. It's the same course every year. It's the bringing in of spring. Spring's eternal. A lot of times it's on a holiday weekend. If you celebrate Passover or Easter or what have you, everybody's with family and friends. It's just a wonderful time for the sporting world. And I think that usually a big-time winner rises to the top. Tiger Woods, of course, back in 2019. Phil Mickelson has done it before. Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Reed, Sergio Garcia, and I think that we are looking at a really difficult Augusta National, particularly this week for two reasons. Number one, we have lengthened Azalea. That is the par 5 13th hole, and I'm hearing guys like Rory McIlroy, who's number one on the PGA Tour in driving distance, and Dustin Johnson laying up on this hole. That is an odd thing to hear about because typically it's an Eagle hole for these guys, but that's not the case this year. This course is going to play long. And then you have a situation where rain and 50 degree temperatures are going to be the case here this weekend. I think this could be a volatile week, a difficult week out there for the guys.
1: Well, Cam, let me tell you if the lengthened Azalea, if it really is as lengthy as they say, and Rory. And Rom and these guys, if they're not putting for eagle three out of the four times, scores are going to look so different. I mean, everyone who has really watched this event, sweated it out. You know, whether it be playing daily fantasy, betting, you know, matchups or whatever, thirteen and fifteen changed the entire context of the round. You could be sitting there, uh, you could be sitting there at even par through twelve. And then you can go into the par three 16th at four under par and be feeling like, Oh, you know, maybe I can make a run. So I honestly, I kind of hate that. I I actually, I actually really do. I don't love the idea of those not being big scoring holes, but uh, if there's more added risk reward of guys having to try very hard to get uh, that second shot there, I I think that could make for better golf. All right. We are going to take a look at the outright odds market. Um, I mean, so much of the win equity is being captured by three guys. Scotty Scheffler, Rory McElroy, and John Rum. If you add up the implied probability there, that's over 30% of the outcomes of this tournament, uh, resting on those three guys. Pretty insane. Uh, Spieth, JT, Finao, Dustin Johnson. We got two live guys here on the screen. I mean, I do think, I do think probably one of these three guys does win the golf tournament. They're they're all in uh, They're all in incredible form. I'm definitely not trusting Patrick Cantlay to finally close out a Masters after he's T5-ed it twice. Where are you thinking at the top of the board here?
3: Yeah, so I said with Ben last week, that was the week to get cute with your outright selection. This week, you are not. You're going chalk. I'm eating the chalk. The last time, actually, of course, a favorite or co-favorite won the Masters was Dustin Johnson back in 2020. The last time before that, Tiger back in 2005 but I think a co-favorite wins this week, and his name is Rory McIlroy. He checks every single box that I'm looking for as far as trends with an eventual Masters winner. And Rory McIlroy, listen, the tee to green game is absolutely immaculate right now. Number two in strokes gained total at the Masters over the last 10 years. Number one in driving distance, crushes par fives. Third in strokes gained total in majors over the last five years as well. So. You put that all together, yes, there's some pressure on him to complete the career Grand Slam, but eventually he's going to get it done. He's too talented not to, and I don't think anybody's really talking about him this week. Only because we're all talking about Liv versus PGA Tour and Tiger and the weather, he's kind of flying under the radar just a bit, and I think he gets it done here this week.
1: I mean, nothing would make me happier. I've lost so much money on Roy McElroy major championships over the years. A lot of T2s, a lot of T3s, a lot of yeah. 64s on Sunday. I do think, I mean, I've said this many times on SportsGrid, his A game, when he's at his best, no one can beat him. Scheffler can't beat him, Rom can't beat him. It's a matter of how much he accesses that. Obviously, he has the the thing he used to be quite poor at was wedge play. His wedge play is now, you know, top 10 on the tour. It really is incredible how much he has reinvented himself in that aspect. One of the uh, the four bears, of course, to Rory McIlroy and Scheffler and Rahm hitting the ball a country mile, is Tiger Woods, one of the first guys, actually the first guy to basically have the Masters and these other golf courses making the courses longer and more difficult so that Tiger couldn't beat everyone by 15 strokes. He right now on FanDuel is listed at 70 to 1 to win the tournament, 7 to 1 to top 10, minus 174 to make the cut, plus 380 for a bogey free round, plus 500 to birdie that uh, pretty difficult par four that the course opens up on. I guess this is where I would say I don't think Tiger would play these events if he thought it was impossible for him to win, but I do think he is smart enough to realize it's going to be some pretty special circumstances that leads him to win. You know, I think I think the weather's got to be just right. I think obviously no one can be just, you know, making every 10-foot putt. I I think he can win here, but I am not investing in any of these numbers right
3: now. Nobody is more reliant on external factors on the PGA Tour right now than Tiger Woods. We're talking about a guy who needs to wake up right, needs to go through the right pre round routine correctly how is the temperature how is the rain factor and what have you which will be factors this weekend which makes me backpedal about tiger woods actually being able to contend here this weekend now the play is minus 174 for him to make the cut and i say that because i did not think he would make the cut last year and he did and he went into that masters with no form davis and this year we at least saw him once right Genesis Invitational finished 45th, but here's the key. Gained over two strokes in approach. Hasn't done that since the BMW Championship back in 2020. Now, we haven't seen a top 10 from him since the 2020 Farmers Insurance Open. Can he win this year? No. Don't bet on him in the outright market. Can he finish top 10? No. Don't bet on him there. Can he make the cut and finish T35? Yeah, I could see that. So lay the juice there. Minus 174. Anything more? Keep your money and just root for Tiger to win. That's what I'm doing.
1: I think a realistic expectation is for him to play pretty well on Thursday and Friday, and just to kind of watch it go. I mean, that's basically when he did well last year. It was uh, I, I specifically remember the U.S. Open, the one they played at Tulsa. Like he looked really good on Thursday, made a couple birdies, and then by Saturday, his back was just like I can't, I can't do this anymore, which is sad to see, uh, but it will be nice just to get a couple vintage Tiger moments. So, of course, this is the return of the live golfers. Abraham Answer, Brooks Kepka, Cam Smith, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Taylor Gooch are all live golfers who have gotten in here. Um, so, a, a wager that our friends over at FanDuel have offered. Uh, you can get in the field at minus 950, or you could take one of these live fellas at plus 550. I I mean, I, I, I'm not betting very many minus 900, i certainly i do think that side is better uh i did mention i i I did bet bryson at 130 to 1 because i could never forgive myself if he did actually win this event and i didn't profit off of it I, i i and i think you and i sound like we're on the same page i just am not expecting these guys to play very well because they have not played uh they've not played serious golf in what two years at this point
3: Fade the live golfers. Minus 950. It's hard to swallow that, Davis. But here's the deal. We're talking about guys who, again, play less rounds now, less tournaments against weaker competition in the live tour. A lot of these guys are super young or past their prime. Like Phil Mickelson is firing like 77s on the live tour. I mean, his game is awful. So I guess the question is to you, Davis, and to the people watching, how do you quantify a win? or a T5 or a T15 on the live tour. Like Brooks just won, but what does that even mean? Like, did he win single A baseball? And now we're making the jump to the MLB one day later? Like, here's the deal. It's just not worth the investment. Bryson stinks at Augusta. He once called it a par 67. And then what happened? The ghosts of Augusta came at him. Uh, Yeah, Dustin Johnson has played well here, but it's still hard to quantify What that means for him playing well on the LIV Tour and then, you know, converting that over to Championship Golf, playing against Rom and Rory and Scheffler and all these guys, Xander, et cetera. So, I'm staying away. Let's just wait and see how they do, and then we can kind of make a determination for the PGA, U.S. Open, et cetera.
1: I think that's legit. All right, this is what everyone is waiting for. Please run me through your 2023 Masters card, the the good stuff.
3: This is the most profitable time for me. Of course, I talked about Rory McIlroy to get it done. Plus 700. There you go. Patrick Cantlay. It's his time to play well yet again at Augusta National. The ball striking is fantastic. Jordan Spieth, plus 160. He loves Augusta, checks a lot of boxes for me. Jason Day, keep an eye on this guy, man. I mean, he could win this week. The game is fantastic. He was runner up in his rookie campaign here at Augusta. Colin Morikawa, great ball striker. Sun jm minus 105 i want to point to him because he can win this week i think he's like 40 to one or something over at FanDuel. two top tens at the masters and three appearances did not take long for him to learn this golf course so keep an eye on him this week tommy fleetwood as well really good around the green player and overall t to green game pretty solid so keep an eye on him and then i've got a full on outright card that we can kind of parse through here. So sprinkle some units on these guys JT, Colin, Patrick, Jordan, Rory, Scotty. One of those guys will win. I guarantee it, Davis.
1: All right. Uh, I am on this Justin Thomas number. Got him at 22 to 1 yesterday, and definitely not going to tell you. I, I think any of Scheffler, Rory, Rom, any of those guys, I, I, I'm not going to tell you any of those numbers are bad. We're going to go ahead and run into break here real quick and uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It's smarter to be on sports.
0: Sportsgrid.com betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24 seven as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering real time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks and more want the edge. Then get on the grid sportsgrid.com.
1: We have, uh, you know, plenty of coverage remaining for you here on the show. Just went over the masters with, Cam Rogers, we are going to now take a look at the Major League Baseball futures market, which is actually pretty interesting because I think there are a fair few number of teams that we've already changed our opinions about early in the season. Definitely one of them being the New York Mets. Uh, Big, big troubles in the Big Apple. Max Scherzer doesn't look great. Uh, 97-year-old Justin Verlander already a little bit banged up. And I mean, one uh, one of the interesting... Things to me is that uh the dodgers have a lot of guys who are playing for them every single day who don't really seem that good uh you know like uh miguel rojas is got a pretty big role on this baseball team and that seems like a pretty big issue to me you know like uh, this is a team that is expected to be winning a major league baseball championship and i think they probably need to be going in a different direction some of the odds that we have going on today uh one of the ones that uh did draw my eye was garrett cole is only a minus 158 favorite so that is a little bit interesting there and uh, as of right now the astros are the team that is the favorite in the futures market the dodgers are plus 750 the braves are plus 750 the yankees are plus 850. i'm gonna stare into my crystal ball. And I'm going to say that when we get to August, I'm going to say the Dodgers odds drop pretty dramatically. And the San Diego Padres odds rise pretty dramatically. I think you'll be able to get the Dodgers at something like what uh, the, the blue Jays are right now, 12 to one, 15 to one. And I think the Padres, I'm going to say the Padres are the favorite in the national league. I think they're going to be even better than the Braves. I'm going to guess that on August 15th, the Padres are listed at six hundred at plus six hundred to win the 2023 World Series. Gonna run into break here at the end of hour one on the morning after. See you guys back in just a moment. It's smarter to be on